0: Our colleague Greg Zuckerman has spent decades covering big-name investors, people who've had huge impacts on the American economy and politics. And among them, there's one name that really stands out, billionaire George Soros.
1: Well, George Soros is one of these people that very few don't have an opinion about. People often loathe him, despise him, demonize him. And others have a lot of respect for him still on Wall Street. A divisive figure. Yeah, very few people are as divisive. George Soros is the puppet master.
0: So go to a person holding a sign who gets paid by Soros or somebody. It's almost like he's an evil person in a Batman movie. Soros is reviled by some on the right for his $25 billion empire that supports liberal politicians and causes. And now the 92-year-old is planning for the future. And he's decided which of his five children will run his organization.
1: It's not the son that you would have expected who's taking over. And I find that aspect fascinating, too. If you don't care about politics, if you don't care about finance, you might care about family dynamics. And you can't help but um, seize on the dynamic there where... The most likely heir apparent, in the end, was not the successor. And the least likely son emerged to take the helm of the empire.
0: Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, June 16th. Coming up on the show... The unlikely successor to George Soros.
1: This episode is brought to you by GlobalX ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started.
0: George Soros was born in 1930 to an upper-middle-class Jewish family in Hungary and lived through World War II.
1: So he survives the Holocaust, he goes to school in London, and he becomes a member of the, the financial community. He becomes a speculator, and he starts early on a speculative firm, a hedge fund. He left uh, investment banking career to do that, to trade and make bets
0: on global markets. He became a U.S. citizen in 1961 and he pioneered a strategy of making big trades based on economic data from different countries.
1: And what does that mean? Well, that really means just making any kind of bet. We're talking stocks, we're talking bonds, we're talking currencies uh, in any kind of market. All over the world, he would try to anticipate where the world was going. So as opposed to figuring out where Microsoft earnings are going or Apple's, etc. He was looking for broader trends, economic, political trends as well, and trying to bet on them, which is really difficult to do. But there's a lot of upside.
0: And what is kind of his most famous trade?
1: So until 1992, George Soros was considered a successful investor. He was well respected. People on Wall Street knew him, but no one else beyond the confines of Wall Street, really uh, recognized who this individual was. And then came his big bet on the British pound, uh, or against the British pound.
0: They call it Black Wednesday, the day that currency speculators broke the Bank of England. This was 1992. England was in the midst of economic turmoil, and the country's leaders were trying to reassure people. But Soros and his colleague Stan Druckenmiller weren't convinced. And decided to bet against the British pound. And they were right. The pound plunged. And that single bet netted them more than $1 billion.
1: And after that, he became a household name, not just on Wall Street, but elsewhere, partly because of the, the amount of money that George Soros made, but also because what he was doing was making a prediction, anticipating problems, and even, you could argue, accelerating the uh, issues within these currencies. That was the beginning of how he became something of a boogeyman for governments around the world. It's one thing to buy and sell stocks, but to bet against a country's currency, that is something that government leaders don't want to see. And George Soros, there was a bullseye placed on him, and, and he did it to himself to some
0: extent. While Soros was building a name for himself as an investor, He was also getting involved in politics.
1: George Soros was a wealthy man, and he felt a need to do more than just spend his money on yachts and homes. At first, he kind of kept his money local, spent money to upgrade Central Park, and did some local, not controversial activities. And then he looked abroad, and he said, I'm from Europe, I'm going to help Europe, Eastern Europe, especially after the fall of the Berlin Wall. He was helping build democracies in Eastern Europe and elsewhere, educational institutions, universities and the like. And frankly, most everybody embraced what he was doing. But that all changed when he started um, focusing on the United States.
0: Soros strongly disagreed with President George W. Bush's decision to invade Iraq in 2003. And so Soros set his sights on stopping Bush's re-election the next year. Here he is, speaking to reporters at the time. If we re-elect President Bush, we are telling the world that we approve his policies and we shall be at war for a long time to come. Bush won re-election by a narrow margin. Since then, Soros and his philanthropic organization called the Open Society Foundations have been targets of the right for funding progressive and liberal causes.
1: Well, the most controversial position over the last few years has been his support for progressive district attorneys and their campaigns for election but people on the right and even kind of center right will say that these are candidates who have been weak on crime and have embraced policies that they would argue haven't been helpful to this country. They would argue that crime has risen and they blame George Soros. But I would also note that these are elected district attorneys. So it's not like George Soros has installed them in office and It's also not clear the connection between the district attorneys and uh,
0: any rise in crime. So George is now 92 years old, and he's been looking for his successor for a long time. One of his sons, Jonathan, was seen as the heir apparent. What happened there?
1: Jonathan Soros was seen as an heir apparent. He had the qualifications on paper to run the empire. And that's what people expected. The problem arose in that they've got personalities that are just a little bit different. We're talking George and his son, Jonathan. So George can kind of act um, on the seat of his pants to some extent. He isn't as analytical as Jonathan. Jonathan takes his time with decisions. They started butting heads and they each were hurt. Uh, by each other. They felt not heard. They were insulted. They felt their positions weren't being respected. And it became an issue. It became a problem. And as a result, Jonathan said, you know what? I'm going to take a step back. He also was feeling a little bit uncomfortable working and living in his father's shadow. So he made a decision to step back. And George made a decision to look elsewhere for an heir apparent. What happened? Where did George look? So it didn't work out for Jonathan Soros. He left the organization, did his own thing, left disappointed but not crushed. And that created an opening and an opportunity for someone else to step up. And the person who stepped up is someone unexpected.
0: Roman Roy.
1: Roman Roy, you could argue, yes.
0: The younger son, referring to the HBO show Succession. I mean, you really want me at ATM? More, Roman's More. I need you.
1: Exactly, yes. As I wrote the story, I couldn't help but think about fiction and the succession story and life uh, imitating fiction. So there is an element of commonality there in that a very unlikely successor emerged for the Soros Empire, and that's Alex Soros. Coming up.
0: Who is Alex Soros?
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging. So you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com/slash journal. Terms and conditions apply.
0: This episode is brought to you by KPMG. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients. Talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG teams together with their clients working shoulder to shoulder to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us transformation to learn more. Alex Soros is 37. He's the fourth of his father's children. And for a long time, he wasn't expected to inherit the Soros empire.
1: Alex Soros is somebody who, for many years, was seen as something of a playboy. He had a model girlfriend. He'd be seen in the Hamptons and in Cannes, at courtside at New York Knicks games, spending his father's money, as it were. And he was relatively young and hadn't really accomplished anything. When you spoke with
0: Alex and George, what did they say their relationship was like?
1: So what's fascinating is that growing up, George and his son, Alex, were not very close. George's head was elsewhere, is what Alex told me. Meaning that he was around, but he wasn't present. He was a father who um, was there, was in the house, was um, (laughs) seemingly present, but his mind was on the market. And he wasn't really involved day to day with his children and his family life.
0: After Alex's parents divorced, Greg says the father and son grew closer.
1: What they do is bond over philosophy and politics and discussing where the world is going. And they spend hours just talking about intellectual issues. And theirs is a bonding and intellectual bonding. And frankly, that's part of the reason why I think George became much more comfortable with Alex because
0: they seem to have similar priorities and interests. Alex went on to get a Ph.D. from Berkeley, and eventually, he started spending time at his father's foundation.
1: Early on, people were not impressed. He didn't say much in meetings. That which he said wasn't the most impressive. There wasn't anything uh, deep and, and thoughtful necessarily. He didn't strike anybody as an obvious successor for George. And to his credit... I think Alex realized that he had much to learn. So he set out to educate himself and he would travel the world, go places like the Amazon, meet with indigenous leaders, advocate for their cause, go to Latin America, visit the offices for the foundation all over the world. And he started playing a bigger role within the organization. And slowly but surely, he earned respect, not only of his colleagues, but also of George.
0: What are some of the things that he's done at the foundation?
1: So Alex is much more hands-on than his father. He walks around all day with a little notebook, and he jots down details, information that he passes along with uh, underlings— Um, Stuff that
0: George, frankly, doesn't become very concerned with. In December, Alex was named chairman of the foundation, and he's also the president of Soros' political action committee. Is Alex as politically minded as his father?
1: In some ways, Alex is much more political than his father. He's got more interest relative to his father in things like voter rights, abortion rights, gender equality, um, some issues that are relevant and really topical in the United States.
0: How would you describe his politics? Is he like a typical Democrat,
1: liberal? So Alex isn't necessarily a stereotypical progressive or liberal. Why do I say that? He wants to support and he will support the Democratic Party and and politicians, and he's gonna do everything he can to stop Donald Trump, he's told me. Frankly, he has voiced all kinds of opinions to me that may become as something of a surprise. And he thinks that uh, those on the left who have been uncomfortable with free speech and uh, on campuses and, and elsewhere have gone too far. And he thinks maybe we've gone a little bit too far in terms of reform of the bail system. So I think it's a mistake to paint him with some kind of brush as a typical liberal, another progressive, and just like his dad. I think he's also going to emphasize the importance — and he's told me is the importance of pushing, coaxing Democratic politicians to reach out to GOP voters. Even if you've been a Trump supporter, he thinks that Democrats should be courting those kinds of people. You know, frankly, there have been some blue-collar voters who have left the party. And I
0: think Alex is going to help lead an effort to try to win them back. What does this mean, if anything? for the future of American politics.
1: I think this move by George Soros, handing the reins over to his son, means that the Soros organization is gonna be as involved, if not more involved, in domestic politics. And people on the right are not gonna be thrilled with that. People on the left might embrace it, but I think both sides might be a little surprised because Alex is not his father. And I think we're going to see some differences. And those differences are going to emerge over time. I think he's got his work cut out for him.
0: That's all for today, Friday, June 16th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. The show is made by Maharadoni, Annie Baxter, Ariana Beau, katherine Brewer, Maria Byrne, Pia godkari Rachel Humphreys, Ryan Knutson, Matt Kwong, Jessica Mendoza, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, Alan Rodriguez Espinosa. Heather Rogers, Jonathan Sanders, Pierce Singhi, Jeevika Verma, Lisa Wang, Catherine Whalen, and me, Kate Leinbaugh. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner, Nathan Singapak, and Peter Leonard. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Catherine Anderson, Marcus Bagala, Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, Nathan Singapak, Griffin Tanner, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Sophie Hurwitz and Najwa Jamal. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.